0: (sighs) Welcome back to the Relatively Speaking podcast. This is episode 120 being recorded on Thursday, November 9th. I am your host, Jared Mintz, and before we get into today's show, I just wanted to acknowledge that the show will no longer stick to a Monday schedule. For the time being, I'm likely going to only be doing one show a week still, but I'm going to try to base it around the sports schedule and other time-sensitive things that I'm going to want to discuss. With that said, we had a pretty big trade in the NBA this week, as the Eric Bloodsoe saga, which was one of the least dramatic-slash-impactful sagas in recent NBA history, came to an end with the 28-year-old artist formerly known as Mini LeBron being traded to the Milwaukee Bucks for Greg Monroe's expiring contract and a first-round pick. I wanted to make sense of this deal and what it means for the Eastern Conference and also celebrate the Knicks not giving up assets for a potential rental player, and I think I have the perfect guest to help me do it. You could find his words at the Step Back and Fan Sighted's Behind the Buck Pass Milwaukee Bucks blog. And of course, he's the host of one of my favorite NBA podcasts, Time Out with Ty, Welcome to the show, Ty Windish. Ty, in two words, how do you feel about the trade? Very good. That's Very awesome, good. man. <laughs> That's also how
1: I feel about that intro. That was fantastic. I'm ready to go. I'm hyped.
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, dude, I was listening to, to your podcast last <laughs> night, so I already know how you feel a little bit about the trade. Glad you are able to get some son's thoughts on with our, our boy Gerald there. But this oh, is yeah. about you. This this is about the Bucks. Before we do that, though, like I do with all of my guests, I like to ask them five rapid-fire questions to help our listeners become a little bit more familiar before we dive into basketball. Ty, you agreed to do this before we started recording. Are you still down?
1: Oh, always, always. Put me on the spot as much as possible.
0: Let's do it. All right, question number one, Ty. What was the first basketball podcast that you got into?
1: Oh, that was the BS report with Zach Lowe. And from there, I got to the Lowe post back in the the Grantland days. That was, I remember treasuring every time that zach lowe would pop on the bs report and that's really what got me into i I, you could even say podcasting in general like that was a a, a huge a huge thing for me those podcasts so like recently when uh they the zach and bill sort of flip-flopped on each other's pods even though they're on different networks and everything now that was like a landmark moment for me like i took time out of my day lit a couple candles played 2k and listened to those and it was beautiful
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I I think a lot of people really got started on podcasts with Simmons. Uh, I didn't. I actually got started with the Ion Basketball pod with Zach Harper. That's a good one. Always a Zach involved. Always a Zach, man. These Zach guys, they have it nailed. I think I should change my name. Follow-up question (laughs) to that. Who's one person that you're dying to get on the podcast?
1: Ooh, one person. Actually, here's a, an out-of-the-box answer because it's easy to say you know Bill or Zach. And obviously, those guys would be phenomenal. Bill Simmons, Zach Lowe, or Zach Harper, if you're listening, hit me up. Let's do it. I would love to get Marcus Johnson on, the uh, one of the uh, broadcasters for the Bucks games because I've seen him tell some stories on Twitter and, and, and a couple other places. His stories are just phenomenal. He's around the team all the time. Would love to have Marcus Johnson on Time Out with Ty.
0: Let me see if I could use my cloud to make that happen. But I mean, Zach Harper, friend of the FamRag Network, we'll we'll see, man. We'll we'll throw some some feelers out. Question number two, Ty, we're gonna get hot here. Ooh. What is a food what is a food take that you repeatedly see that boggles your
1: mind? Mm-hmm. I could go a lot of ways with this, but number one right now, just because I'm thinking of it, is the take that candy corn is bad I don't get it at all I almost got thrown out of the step back email thread <laughs> for my love of candy corn I'm, I'm a big fan of it I'm a big fan of the texture it's the texture people the texture it's unlike anything else it's glorious eat candy corn or I will wow that
0: that is hot man I was thinking you were going to go like on an anti-take like people who say pineapple doesn't belong on pizza are wrong but I dig you standing up for candy corn here I had to <laughs> Ty, what was the first song you knew all the words to?
1: Oh man, oh boy. Uh, let me let me think of when I really started listening to music. It, uh, that's a good question. I'm gonna say it is probably this is obscure as hell, and I don't I don't really listen to the Strokes anymore. But it was probably a Stroke song because that's like when I was real angsty and young. I would just like put it on put it on super loud and like because some girl in seventh grade didn't poke me back on Facebook or whatever. I'd be like, oh I gotta <laughs> listen to the Strokes now probably like razor blade by the strokes or something super corny i bet
0: that's awesome it's got to be something you can cry to
1: oh yeah it has to it has to
0: if you could be best friends with any tv show character who would it be
1: Mm, any tv show character i'm trying to think of one like i said it's just funny one who i'd actually really want to be friends with from like one of my favorite shows this is tough i am going to say give me mm, give me tyrion lannister uh Tyrion Lannister would be pretty dope
0: always got to be a Game of Thrones reference on this show because I do not watch Game of Thrones but uh (laughs) but I know Tyrion's pretty cool I've been promising my wife that I'm gonna get caught up before next season so uh next time we do the podcast we'll do a Game of Thrones episode
1: yes yes (laughs) all right
0: last question to help us ease into talking about basketball if you could dunk on any player in NBA history who would it be
1: oh man I'm trying to think of, like, do I want to, do I want to I make it cool? Do I want to make it funny? Do I want to make it personal? Like, I feel like I really don't hate anyone in NBA history, per se. Like, there are there are players who have broken my heart before. Um, I will dunk on, I don't know, I feel like I just would dunk on Jordan just because, like, who wouldn't want to dunk on Jordan? He'd probably, like, he'd probably just tell him at me the rest of my life for it because that's the kind of guy Jordan is. But, I mean, to say you dunked on Michael Jordan would be something else.
0: What's better? I mean, I think only John Starks could say that, and even his is like a half a dunk because it's really on Horace Grant. I I like the way you're thinking. Right.
1: It's just like you got to go for the GOAT, man.
0: Got to. Always aim at the top. I like it. All right, Ty, reason I got you on the show, Eric Bloodsoe finally gets traded. I don't know that finally is the right word. I mean, the Suns had been dangling him out there for a while. I mean, it seems like three summers now where we're wondering if Eric Bloodsoe is going to get traded. It only takes a few weeks into this season. Bloodsoe wasn't playing. He wasn't happy. He was tweeting about it. He finds himself getting traded to your Milwaukee Bucks. I personally think it's a great fit. I think the Bucks needed another score. I think Bloodsoe is a kind of guy who, somewhere in the middle of still in his prime, but not a guy you invest too heavily in. Obviously, the Bucks only give up Greg Monroe's expiring and a first-round draft pick to get him back. Ty, what do you think of the trade?
1: I was I was so overwhelmed when the trade was first announced, and as my guy Adam Mcgee also at behind the Buck Pass noted in his piece, it took 17 minutes for the follow-up tweet to include some details on this. So at first, it just said the Bucks and Suns are in like serious talks, which A.K.A. means the deal's pretty much done in, in Woj terms on and Bledsoe going to the Bucks, and for those 17 minutes, I just remember refreshing Twitter, like, what are they giving up? What are they giving up? Because I feel like around Bucks, Bucks Twitter, the feeling was that it would be one of Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon, Thonmaker, or Jabari Parker would be involved in the deal, and we were sort of all like, which one is it? It better not be more than one. Like, I hope they didn't overpay. I hope they didn't give up that guy and a pick. You know, like, just all these... All these concerns, I mean, I like a week or so ago, I was on Twitter spatting with some some friends of mine over not wanting to trade Malcolm Brogdon for Eric Bledsoe, because Brogdon is 25, he's shown a lot of new stuff this year, he's scored off the dribble more, and he's 10 times cheaper over the next two seasons. So I, I was worried about giving up Brogdon. I mean, Middleton, I would hate to give up, he's obviously very good. Thon Maker is raw, but again, talented, and Jabari's like better than anyone remembers, because he hasn't played in so long. And then I find out it's Greg Monroe and a first, and then later it revealed there's also a second round pick. The first is very protected. Um, It's just a crazy deal. Um, It's been common to sort of, especially people who don't watch that much much bucks, to sort of go, oh, like Greg Monroe didn't fit. Greg Monroe, bad attitude, blah, blah, blah. A little in his first year, there was a a bad attitude thing we, we noted. I mean, he fit he fit really well last year. He was a great bench piece. He moved the ball from the center position. He got a lot better defensively last season, which is something a lot of people noted. Um, and he was uh, an all-around good buck, and he wanted to win. And I hope he ends up on a team where he can get to the playoffs, because he deserves it. Um, it's sad to see him go. But on the other hand, like for that, for what they gave up and expiring for a guy, they almost certainly don't have the money to bring back next season. A draft pick they don't need, and a second-round pick, which is... Going to be in the top twelve if it does, or the bottom twelve if it does convey. So it's pretty much useless. No offense to Isaiah Thomas or anyone else who went that low. So I mean, just for the what they're giving up—the chance to add a guy who has a real shot to contend for the the uh, All Star team in the East—that's fantastic. I mean, they needed someone, clearly needed someone to take pressure off everyone, including Giannis, who a couple times this season has just looked like he's a little exhausted from doing everything, and he can do everything, but everyone needs a break from once in a while. And Bledsoe's the kind of guy who, you know, he's a first option. Phoenix, that team wasn't all that great. Now he's a second option with Giannis. He's got Middleton next to him. He's going to be able to do what he wants to do. While while defenses worry about Giannis, he can lead the second units too. They can, they can uh, alternate a little bit with Giannis and Bledsoe. I just think, like, they needed to try something, I think, like just based on the three-game losing streak that's now four since the trades happened. To be able to do it for so little, I think is incredible. Like I don't think any of the assets in this deal, you know, five years from now, people are gonna be like, Oh, I can't believe they gave up all that for Bledsoe. Like that's the concern. I'm sorry, I'm talking for an hour here. But that's nah, the do con- it, man. that's the concern I had with Brogdon, though. In like two years, Malcolm Brogdon's like a seventeen and nine guy and Bledsoe's gone or hurt or something else terrible and you just look over at Brogdon and Phoenix and go, damn, like we could easily we should have this guy. So the fact that that situation almost certainly won't happen makes me very happy sure
0: those are all really great points I'm glad that you shouted out Greg Monroe too because he's a guy who you know I don't know that there's a middle ground on Greg Monroe where he should be a middle ground guy where you can acknowledge sure maybe he didn't live up to the contract but at the same time last season he was very valuable for this team I mean he was he was one of the better players he really flourished in that bench role but at the same time I mean he's not a guy that anybody's necessarily trading for to make them much better Certainly not the Suns who are looking to rebuild and have all these young big guys on the team. I'm not sure where Greg Monroe fits into that. But this is more than just, you know, a throwaway contract. For the content of this trade, sure, may, may, maybe that's what this is. Maybe they're really just getting Greg Monroe because he's an expiring. Again, he doesn't really fit with what the Suns are doing, seeing how they traded blood. So because they're not trying to be competitive anytime too soon. But still, he, he's a talent. He's a good player. But he's the right piece to give up for the Bucs. Like you mentioned, they don't give up Thon. They don't give up Brogdon. They don't give up Jabari. And you still keep you know, your core of Middleton and Giannis, who were two incredible players together, while giving them another player who can create for them, make life easier on offense for them. I, I think it's a great deal for them. Do you think, though, that Eric Bledsoe is a long-term solution for this team? Do you think that this was kind of a rental trade to see how it works? I mean, how do you feel about the Bucks right now? with Eric Bledsoe in the fold, this was one of the teams that I was really excited about coming into the season, even with Jabari Parker being banged up. I like the talent. I like the youth movement. You know, I don't know that that Thon is there yet this year to, to take a leap, but they're a team that's kind of just like, when these guys start to develop and become a little bit more, I don't know, physically into their prime, they're going to be a real problem. Do you think Eric Bledsoe takes them to that next step? And do, do you think he's there, you know, kind of for the long term here?
1: I mean, I think he might. I think what I like about this deal, one of the many things, is that basically you're trading for, you know, uh, you don't know he plays them all, but like you, you'll have him. You'll have the option to have him on your team for 150 games. Right? There's 72 left this season for the Bucks. 82 next season, so more than 150 games. That's a long look at a guy and two playoff series, two two playoff runs. So, if he takes them to the next level in two years. They can make it a priority to keep him. They can go. We need Eric Bledsoe. This guy got us here. You know, maybe I I don't know. I don't. I don't want to speculate on how far they go because I'm always worried about jinxing uh, the team I I, I cover. But uh, if if they enjoy great success, we will say with Eric Bledsoe, they can try to find a way to keep Eric Bledsoe, who will be over 30 by the time his contract expires. If I'm correct, Um, if it doesn't work in two years, they'll be. You'll probably see a team with. Some huge contracts, like obviously Giannis will be paid forever. Middleton will have to be paid soon. Brogdon will come up eventually, yada, yada, yada. But they'll be in a place where they can start making decisions on who they want to put around those guys. And really what the, what we see with even this deal is that according to uh, Gambo over in Phoenix, a beat reporter there, like, I don't remember his full last name. I know it's John. He's like at Gambo. He's very known mm-hmm. over there. Um, Eric Bledsoe said the Bucks were on the top of the, his list because of Giannis. So you look at two years from now, you expect Giannis maybe even gets a little better, and right now he's insane already. If there's any sort of salary room, like the Bucks can find a guy to replace Bledsoe. So I think even if they can't get all the way to the top of the mountain with him, and they don't feel like they'll be able to after two years have gone, it's time to make that decision, I think they can move on from him fairly easily. But, I mean, having him now and giving him the chance to prove it, not just for half a season or a full season, but pretty much two full years is great because they'll know. There won't be a question unless, of uh, uh, knock on wood here, unless there's a, an injury thing, they'll know how this looks with Bledsoe and Giannis and Middleton and Brogdon and all this. Like This is the core right now. If this team is really good, they'll be able to keep this team together. If it's not as good as they want, I think they'll be able to make moves. Um, really, the team is has some contracts that I'm sure that they would rather not have, but you know, Henson's playing again, which is good, and he's been effective, uh, Teletovic is up and down, but right now his three-point percentage has skyrocketed, so he seems worthwhile, Deli is Deli; he's fine, I guess, not, maybe not, um, but it's, they're not in a terrible long-term place, but they just, it's time to start stitching together wins now, I think, now that Bledsoe's here, uh, four and six is disappointing for this team, even without Eric Bledsoe, but, uh, it's, it's time to prove it, and I'm, Even if... I think Bledsoe could be a long-term solution. I don't think anything stops a point guard from being good in his lower 30s. But, I mean, like, eight years from now, Giannis will be barely 30. So he's not forever. He's not the forever solution. But I think they're not locked into, like, a crazy mega deal on him, which is good. They don't have, like, the five-year 120 million dollar contract that he'll be eligible for in two years you'd rather get him now at 14 per than later at 20 per like Mike Conley or someone like that who like Mike Conley is great right but I don't know if I'd want the Bucks to get Mike Conley right now because that deal might not be no one might want that deal in three years you know Mike Conley's great I love Mike Conley you just don't know what three years will do to a point guard I I don't want a huge contract that's why I like the deal Bledsoe's on I think it's perfectly in the middle of not too short but you're not locked into him forever.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Those are great points and especially when you take the Bloodso contract into effect of replacing the Monroe contract and yes, you know, Greg Monroe was up after this year, but to be able to pay that chunk of your salary cap to a player like Bloodso who I don't know if he's capable of doing it on this team with so many other guys around him that need the ball, but he's capable of being a 25-5 guy, you know, and and it's just important to have those kind of guys that offensive firepower on this team. How do you see him fitting in, though? Do, do you think that he's kind of going to take all of Brogdon's minutes? Do you see these guys together? I mean, obviously not all of Brogdon's minutes, but being the starting point guard or at least the the you know starting player in the backcourt who is handling the ball more than, than Brogdon was. I mean, I know Brogdon doesn't have a traditional point guard role on this team, but wh- where do you see Bloodsoe fitting in? What do you see the strengths of this team being for the rest of the season now that they've added Bloodsoe to the fold offensively? I mean, do you think he takes the ball away from Giannis How do you see these guys all working together moving forward?
1: I mean, I think they're going to work pretty well, honestly. Um, This team, like, to your point of Brogdon doesn't really have the traditional point guard role. Kind of nobody does. Like, right Right. now, Chris Middleton leads the team in assists with five and a half. Next is Brogdon with 4.9, then is Giannis with 4.8. And you have a couple other guys with more than one, too, like Delis at 3.4. Tony Snell is just over two, which is nice production from his passing. Um I think he will he'll take some touches from everybody. That's just what happens when you bring in someone like Eric Bledsoe. I don't think he'll take a ton from everybody, but he'll take some. Um and I think the Bucks are fine with that cuz he's he's really good. Um I I think he should fit in well. I mean, clearly we've already heard supposedly, reportedly, I should say that, you know, he wanted to play with Giannis. You know, if you want to play with a guy like Giannis, you probably understand that that guy is the guy. You know, I don't think anyone coming to play with Giannis who really wants to do it is truly thinking, except like besides like Dion waiters or someone that they're going to be number one. Like you understand you come to play with Giannis, you're, you're number two at best. You know, I think that's, I think that's something Eric Bledsoe can do. And I think even if he were a little resistant to that, which it doesn't sound like he is like, when's the last time Eric Bledsoe got to play for something? What was that? 2013, 14 when they won 48 games or the year after that, and they didn't make the playoffs. So I think just the chance for him to be a starter on a playoff team is something that he's just going to relish. He's just going to love that. He's gonna, he finally he got the deal he wanted. Like you said, it was sort of a saga where he was trying to get out of there because they stunk so bad. And then he wanted to play last year, and they sat him down because they wanted to lose games, which I can't imagine how that feels as a player. Just be like, nah, you're actually too good, so ride the <laughs> bench for a while. Like, that's rough. Um, so I think that will help, too, just being able to fit into a winning culture. Um, and just
0: your to your point, just interrupt, I'm sorry. I mean, was no, a guy who, who in his most successful days, I mean, wasn't necessarily the go-to guy. He had success being the point guard off the bench for the Clippers. And then that Suns year of success, I mean, it's him and Dragic sharing the ball. Yeah. So it's not like he's a guy who's going to a team, needs to be the, the center of the offense. I, I think that it bodes well that he wanted to play with Giannis. And Giannis, I mean, not to go, get hyperbolic, we're going to talk about Giannis a little bit more shortly, but... Giannis is kind of like in this LeBron mold where he is a forward who needs the ball in his hands every possession. I mean, Giannis isn't a guy who's moving around off the ball as much as you're getting it to him and you're letting him be a freak and letting him do what he does and orchestrate the offense. To want to play with a guy like that, you have to know that you're not going to be dominating the ball, that the offense isn't necessarily going to run through you. And I I think that that's going to work out well for the Bucs.
1: Right. I mean, I think it'll depend a lot on coaching, which is a bit of a question mark. But the Bucks have the personnel on both ends now to be a completely unselfish, small ball, shifting everything team. And by that, I mean like they can switch across positions a ton. I mean, Bledsoe's got a six foot seven wingspan. You know, Brogdon's like 6'11". Giannis is obviously incredible. Middleton is long. Maker, John Henson, these guys have no shortage of arms. Um, they can switch everything on defense. And offensively, I mean, now you have like they can run out lineups where everybody can create. Everybody can pass, everybody can shoot, with the sort of exception of Giannis. He's at thirty three percent, but he he only takes two per game right now. Um, it's just gonna be really fun to watch if they if they do it right, if they run some stuff on offense. Like I would love to see lineups where it's Bledsoe and Giannis and three shooters, and they just pick and roll and space the floor around that. Like I don't know how you guard an Eric Bledsoe, Giannis at Kumpo pick and roll. Like it's very difficult to handle Giannis. Bledsoe's very crafty with the ball, he can go inside they have a lot they can do it we'll see how much they do with it hopefully you know we get more than just guys standing around watching as one screen is set and Giannis Isos against three defenders which there's been a lot of through these first 10 games but I mean I just think the excitement of of watching lineups that have all three of Giannis Middleton Bledsoe or all four of those three guys and Brogdon you know Jabari once he gets back there's just a lot of exciting players who you really trust with the ball which is just really hard to defend because there's not really that guy you can sort of say oh we're not worried about him like it it doesn't exist anymore on the bucks when they want when they want that to happen
0: absolutely and I mean I think that they're a really fun team I've enjoyed them like I said I was kind of hyping them up in the preseason just because I like all of these pieces together I think Chris Middleton is an unsung hero in the NBA I, I'm excited for Brogdon and I'm sorry. I'm going to do this. Thon McCur. I'm going to say McCurr. That is, that is <laughs> the
1: pronunciation.
0: <laughs> I was hoping that you were going to say it, but I don't know how things go in, in Milwaukee and around the Bucs. I don't know what you guys call him, so I didn't mean to be disrespectful, but I'm kind of going both ways. I think last week I called him McCur, so I have to be consistent for my brand. I'm ready for Thon and for Malcolm Brogdon to take these steps forward, and I think that they're both progressing nicely. I think Thon is just going to be one of these guys who you're going to wake up one day, and it's going to be like, Oh, wow, he's an all star now. Like, he gets it. He got it. And maybe this isn't the year, but they're just, they're such a fun team. And of course, in the middle of that, you know, you have Giannis, who, for my money, looks like the MVP of the NBA this season. Is this how you see the year playing along? I mean, I know he took a leap last year. I think he finished top five in MVP voting. Do you think natural progression kind of has him finishing as a top two or three MVP candidate this year?
1: I'll say this if he doesn't win MVP, it's not because of him you know it's because of the team like the things he does are ridiculous like if you put the right team around Giannis there's no reason that team should not be a title contender already like that's how good he is he's 23 years old actually I don't know if he's turned 23 yet but he's averaging nearly 32 points just under 10 rebounds just under five uh, five assists a steal and a half almost two blocks per game shooting 60 percent from the field and my least favorite thing is you know imagine if he gets a jump shot like who cares like what do you what do you really think he's going to average like 50 and 20 like he's doing it now like maybe he will maintain a 33% jumper like that should not be his go to like his shot is a little little herky jerky it's it's not the greatest like he's they're going in at least a little now but like he, it doesn't matter no one can guard him anyway this guy does not need a jumper, and maybe down the line, when his athleticism starts to wane a little bit, sort of like a like not obviously to this the extent Ray Allen was could shoot, but that sort of deal where you shoot more the older you get. Maybe then, maybe worry about it then. He's twenty three. He doesn't twenty two. Twenty two. He is twenty two. He's about he turns twenty three in December. Yes. Um. So yeah, twenty two years old. He he. That's just the like the people who you know watch Bucks Bucks fans cover Bucks. Just that's one of the things where you just hear it all the time. It's just like man just go watch what he does now. Like he doesn't need any, he needs teammates and, and coaches around him that can set him up a little better is really the one thing he needs. But no, his game is as good as anybody else in the league. And obviously MVP is a sort of politicized thing. Um, right now, like Kristaps might be in the running for it, but he might get relegated to most improved instead. Like he did last year. Um, the Thunder are ugly right now, so none of those three guys are really up for it. I mean, Westbrook's still really good, but there's got to be a storyline. There always has to be a storyline for MVP. Giannis is a good one. We'll see what Harden does over in uh, Houston. He's been incredible so far. Steph Curry's been unbelievable, but having Clay Thompson there, I think, hurts. or Not Clay Thompson. Uh, Kevin Durant, all of those guys, really. But Kevin Durant there hurts his case a little bit. Um, I mean, who knows? Right. Maybe it works. It looks like, I mean, just looking around the league, there is
0: room for Giannis to win this no, thing. No, for sure. I don't mean to be ridiculous and talk about MVP in early November, but, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we're watching this, like you said, we're, we're a tenth of the way or even more into the season, and, like, few guys have been as good, impactful as Giannis has been.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's won, the, like, the games they've won, mostly, if not all of them, like, he, Giannis just decided in the end of the fourth quarter that the Bucks were not going to lose this basketball game, and he won them the basketball game. Like it's like the things he does. Like it's not just numbers. I saw someone someone tweeted at me when I was upset that Oladipo won its Eastern Conference Player of the Week over Giannis a little while ago. Someone actually said empty stats to me, and I'm like, you clearly have never watched a Bucks game because <laughs> if he didn't do all of those things, they would be terrible. Like, he needs to do those things. These stats are far from empty, my friend. So I think he certainly has a case. He's certainly deserving. But, like, if the team finishes at 500, he's not going to win. Like, they need to be good. That's the that's the question mark. So hopefully Bledsoe can help with that and the Bucks can go on a little run here and make Giannis a, a legitimate candidate. Because right now it's just the team is struggling. People have forgotten a little bit about the Bucks right now because they've stunk lately. So hopefully uh, Bledsoe can make them fun again and, and, more importantly, good again so he can win it.
0: For sure. And I mean, look, if you've watched Giannis, there are very few nights where he doesn't look like the best player on the court. So to call those empty stats is just not watching. It's its empty analysis. You're not watching the guy play if you think he's just filling up a stat sheet and not making crazy impact on the court. With that said, we're going to get to the rest of the Eastern Conference in a minute. Before we do, I just want to ask you, what's your expectation for this team in terms of you know where they finish in the Eastern Conference, what they do in the postseason? What do you expect and what will you consider a successful season?
1: I think they for it to be for me to consider it successful with the way the rest of the Eastern Conference looks right now. And I know we'll get there. Um, I feel like they they need home court. They need to be top four, and I really I think that's like with the team they have right now. You look at it, and obviously Jabari, it's a question mark of how he is when he gets back. But by the postseason, we're anticipated this team. This isn't a starting lineup, but this is their best five. I think this is their best possible lineup. It would be something like Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Jabari, Giannis. It's something they could throw out. And like, you look around the East and go, how many teams right now have five healthy guys who can keep up with that lineup on either end? And you're looking for a while, is how I'll say it. You're looking for a long while to find a lineup that can match with that in this conference. You know, if they if they don't get home court, you have to really look at like what's what's the problem then? Because clearly, like the talent is here. You don't need fifteen really good guys. Like in the playoffs, you need like eight, nine. So they have those five guys: Tony Snell, who is good; John Henson, Fon McCurr, who is kind of good; Teletovic can be fun. You know, they still have Delhi. Like they have enough guys to where they should have. They should be good enough in the postseason. The regular season depth is more important. The end of this bench is suspect. Rashad Vaughn is still a contributor here, even though the Bucks declined to pick up his option for next year, which is telling. There's uh, a lot of guys on the end of the bench here who you just have are just question marks essentially. Um, but still, I think you kind of have to look at you know how is the how is the team being ran? That's an interesting question. You know, John Horst, the Bucks GM, has now made it so that the talent cannot be a question anymore because I don't think. The Bucs are clearly worse than many more than one, two teams in the East at this point. Like, they're up there in terms of talent when you look at Giannis and everyone around him. Bledsoe now, Middleton, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Names I've said ten times. You get it, though. Um, I just think, like, they need to be that good. And for the for the postseason, they at least have to make the second round. Like you got to win a series, especially if they do get the home court. Like you have to you have to win the home playoff series. You know, after that, we'll see. Obviously, teams like the Celtics, the Cavaliers, even the Wizards, kind of have more postseason experience. But I mean, if you're not getting to the second round with Giannis being this good, then again, like something is just wrong, and you need to sit this summer and really look at like what held us back this year.
0: Big expectations, you know, the Eastern Conference just it's not the west it doesn't have these powerhouses in it especially with you know the cavs looking like they look it, it does look like it's relatively up for grabs and i mean i think just stringing together a very good regular season could could wind up that with them getting home court advantage we're going to talk about these other teams now that could stand in front of them though and you know i'm i'm not convinced that that the bucks are a top 4 team in the east because i just think these teams that were, that were kind of there last year have a good chance of being there still But I want to get your thoughts on that, you know, see where you are. Obviously, you have these expectations that the Bucs could be a top-four team. So let's see what you think of the rest of the teams near the top of the East. And and there really isn't a better place to start than than with Cleveland, who is off to a relatively disastrous start. I mean, you get a LeBron James team, and you just don't expect them to start the season with a losing record. You expect them to start the season, you know, eight games over 500. they They're currently 5-6 and through their first 11 games. Ty, what's going on with the Cavs? I mean, is this an aberration I'm not saying they're going to have a losing record this season, but is this team not that good this year?
1: They're the worst defensive team in the league, which, you know, there's a very low ceiling for teams that cannot play any defense whatsoever. And, you know, the Cavaliers' goal has been for almost this entire LeBron run. Basically, like, we don't care. We can blitz the rest of the East in the playoffs. We're too good offensively. You know, right now with how banged up they are, that's just not the case. And the the big name there is Isaiah Thomas. I think the, the inherent problem with this team, well, besides the one that they have to play guys who are... Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, go for it. Besides the fact that they have to play guys who are just shitty defenders at this point, like Derrick Rose cannot play defense. They play like a, a bottom-of-the-lottery team with him on the floor. He just puts up... The, here, you want to talk about empty stats? Sorry, Derrick Rose fans, but... His, I'm here for it. I'm his, here his, for it. His 14.3 points per game are empty stats. Look at how bad they play with him. Um, You know, Kevin Love, great offensive player, Sometimes solid defender, but he doesn't make your team better defensively. You're asking a lot from Jay Crowder, J. R. Smith, and LeBron, who again, like LeBron, can't afford to play intense defense for his th- almost 38 minutes per game right now because he doesn't like the guy has played more than anyone over the last I don't know however many years you want to look at. So you're looking at guys like Kyle Korver plays real minutes. Jeff Green, who has never been the answer. 36, 35, 37, however old year old Dwayne Wade is out here. Derrick Rose plays as a starter. So they just have these guys who are not that good defensively. They can't space the floor, which is a big thing for Cleveland. JR's been slumping early horribly. But like Rose, can't shoot, 23%. Jay Crowder's been slumping a bit. Dwayne Wade, 21% from three. Jeff Green, barely 30%. So now you're looking at, you know, the, the this team, how how are they going to blitz? I mean, their offense has still been quite good. Their third in offensive rating. But it's just they don't they're not doing the things they need to do. Like they need to be better defensively. They don't need to be great. They're never gonna be the Jazz, but they need to be better than last. And they need to be better at shooting the ball, which they've been terrible at. Twentieth in the league and three point percentage right now are the Cavaliers. So I think the the inherent problem here, besides that, is that like when you put stars together, oftentimes it takes more than a season. Like people kinda of looked at the Celtics this year before the Hayward injury, which was terrible and said, like, you know, they'll probably be good this year, but it's going to take a little while for Kyrie and L. Horford and um, Gordon Hayward to figure it out. Like, that's how these things work. You know, it should take a while for LeBron and Isaiah Thomas and Kevin Love to figure it out. They have no time. LeBron might be gone after this. Isaiah Thomas's contract is up after this, and Isaiah Thomas won't be back for a little while still. They need to figure it out now. And, again, it's like you introduce Isaiah, who's a better offensive player than any guard they have, obviously, Uh, He's a better shooter than any guard they have right now. Not a better defender. Maybe probably worse than anyone they have right now because he's just he just can't keep he can't stay in front of anyone. So you know that that's not going to help their defense. It's I I just like they're going to win games just because LeBron's LeBron. Like he put a legendary performance on the Wizards earlier, and then I think they lost to the Hawks in their next game. So. It, it's tough. Like they, they. I think they might end up needing to make a move or just radically shift who they give minutes to. But like, you look at their options to guard guards right now. And like, if you're not playing Rose and you're not playing Wade, then the next guy up is Jose Calderon. Which, like, really, that's your. That's not exactly a defensive stalwart either. So I just, I don't know exactly how they're gonna fix it. Besides getting it back and just hoping he and LeBron can overwhelm other teams. Which I mean, I, I, I just don't know. I don't know if that's gonna get them as far as it should and I mean I'm gonna look silly when they rip off a 25 game win streak but you know they need something to change I just don't know if they have the pieces to make that change happen right now
0: yeah it's really interesting that you said that because there's still that point of doubt in all of our minds where it's like well they could probably still flip a switch and reel off 25 straight wins we can't put anything past LeBron I mean you saw him go nuts against the Wizards the other week where he drops 57 and it's like well LeBron could still do this but The problem isn't LeBron, and the problem could have been easily forecasted when you saw them piling up the Derrick Roses and the Dwayne Wades and the Jeff Greens and the guys who just aren't answers, especially not at this stage. I mean, it's not a secret. You give LeBron defenders, you give LeBron knockdown three-point shooters, that equals success. They don't have that this year. And, you know, like you mentioned, everybody's mentioning, wait till Isaiah Thomas gets back. There isn't even a guarantee that Isaiah Thomas is going to be able to get healthy and recover from this hip thing. So they're putting a lot lot of hope into things that just, aren't easy to manufacture or aren't easy to bank on. And for the first time ever, I'm legitimately concerned that like there might not be an on button for LeBron to press this year. Do, do you think that's the case or, or do you see this team still at some point somehow possibly being able to, to turn it on and, and be a top team in the East?
1: I mean, they, they might need to make a move like um, just to and quick.
0: They, they usually do. I'm sorry. They to interrupt. usually
1: do. No, they, they do. And I, I think, well, the problem there is like, what, what do they have left? Right, the Nets pick. If I'm them, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not considering trading the Nets pick right now, for to accomplish what? To get a little better, so the Warriors can steamroll you because they got better. The Warriors are better than they were last season. Like I don't know how many teams can say that. I mean, like the Celtics probably can. A couple other West teams, but. Like, the Warriors are better than, like, Omri Caspi is a revelation there. Like, they, they can they can do so many more things now with their quote-unquote lineup of death. Like, it's ridiculous. So I, if I'm them, I'm not. If I'm the Cavs, I'm not moving that Nets pick no matter what. And unless you can get a transcendent player who you know can convince LeBron to stay, which, like, you know, I, I don't know if that guy exists or if he's ever available for trade. Um, And, like, the assets they have are, like, you know Kevin Love, and then you lose Kevin Love if you trade Kevin Love. So that's you know that's not great. Like they they need his points right now and his rebounding. Um, I think the problem. One thing that was just funny with them, just as a quick aside, is everyone said, well, you know, it's not bad if they have Rose and Wade and Jeff Green because they're all so cheap. Well, it's like, like that's a a front office concern and a, an ownership concern. But like if they play, it doesn't matter. Like it, it doesn't like as long as you have the guys assembled, it doesn't matter. This is something I know Stan Van Gundy had said. When someone was concerned he overpaid for somebody, I don't remember who. And, you know, basically he said, like, listen, like, that stuff doesn't matter as much once you get your team assembled. Like, it doesn't matter who's making the money as long as it works on the floor. So, like, if you're paying, you know, Alan Crabb way too much, quote-unquote, but he's an important role player for you, you didn't pay him too much. Like, you made the team better. It works vice versa, too. Like, it doesn't matter if you got a great deal on Derrick Rose if he makes your team worse. Like you're still playing him, it doesn't like it doesn't matter to your, your win total. It just matters to your front office flexibility, basically, which on a a one year deal isn't that important anyway. So, as far as like if if LeBron can turn it on, like it's it's on right now. He's playing almost 38 minutes a game. He's some of the best basketball of his career, which is ludicrous. What I worry about is like what happens when he takes that week off, you know, like what happens when it takes a couple of games. I think he's he's played in all of their games so far, and they've needed him to, and they've still had a negative point differential. Like if LeBron sits for four games, you know, is there a chance they they go more than zero and four, more than one and three? Like they would just be a train wreck. It's Kevin Love and against the world, basically. It's it's tough. It's tough to ask this much of him in his what is this like his? It feels like his nine his fifteenth season. Thank you. It's just a lot to ask. So I, I just don't know if he can flip the switch any further without sacrificing his, his durability later.
0: Right, and again, it's hardly a LeBron flipping a switch thing as much as right. it's to the guys around him and what they could do. Really agreeing with everything you're saying here about this team and even, yeah, what, what does it matter what you paid for these guys? You're playing them and they don't make your team any better. And I just, you're not flipping any of them either. You're not getting rid of Derek Rose for something. You're not getting rid of Dwayne Wade for something. These guys are stuck on your team and I, I guess unless they get hurt – you're kind of stuck playing them, and it's just weird too because from an emotional standpoint, from a chemistry standpoint, J.R. Smith was upset about this happening, and Jr. was one of their most important players these last couple of years because he's a guy who knocks down threes and a guy a guy who could play defense and guard both backcourt positions. And you've essentially told him, "Well, we want to play LeBron's friends instead of you," and uh, you know, deal with it. And it, it just it, it's going to hurt this team. And again, this is probably LeBron's last year in Cleveland. I don't know how emotionally invested he is. Obviously, he's a competitor. Year 15, anything but the finals, anything but a championship is a disappointment to him. I don't think he's going to sit there at any point this year and say, well, if we don't get it this year, you know, I'll be somewhere else next year and I'll get after it again. LeBron doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste seasons. I don't know how to to properly pack in my mind that he might not make it to the finals this year. And I don't see what this team could do to, to get there with what they're currently working with. With that said, let's look at the team that that's kind of posing the biggest threat to them. Winners of 10 straight games... Are you buying the Celtics being better this year than they were last year? Is this just a hot start? Is this the best team in the Eastern Conference?
1: Um, I'm buying it. I really am buying it. I think even without Hayward, um, you obviously like Isaiah was a little better than Kyrie was last season, and those are the guys who were basically flipped, and they'll lose Jay Crowder. um, But Kyrie is just completely embracing his role right now. He's loving life in this new system of – and, you know, it, I guess you could say in a system as opposed to his uh, previous experience with coaching in, in Cleveland. Um, but I think like the biggest part that has to excite you about if you're a Boston fan is the young guys here, right? Like Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum are are just their starters now. Like this is Jalen Brown's second season. Jason Tatum's a rookie. And they are very capable starters who are playing well and playing great team basketball. And you can say the same about Marcus Smart. You can say the same about Terry Rozier. Uh, you know they're getting like minutes out of Semi Olaje. I think is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. Like they have a bunch of guys who can play, and like and a concern about Boston before the season was like they they have to rely on these young guys, and that's probably a negative. Somehow it's been a positive, which is ridiculous, like Jason Tatum's season thus far is crazy what he's able to do it for a nineteen year old on a team this good he's a full time starter and he he's shooting fifty three percent from three, which is just stupid, and that's probably not gonna that will not remain there all year, but um just that you're getting that out of those guys now. You know, do they hit, you know, rookie or slash young guy walls at some point? I'm sure they will. I'm sure there'll be slumps. Boston will lose a couple games here and there. And not having Hayward, obviously, is terrible for them. But the confidence I think they have in surviving this and going on this run is great for them, especially for a guy like Kyrie, your sort of, you know, emotional slash weird leader. Um, I think they're just completely clicking. And I think giving Brad Stevens, uh, basically, they have Kyrie, Al Horford, and Aaron Baines, and just a bunch of guys he can play with, a lot of wing players who can shoot and defend. You know, that's what the NBA is now. So you give those guys with a great coach, someone who can initiate offense, really on both ends in Kyrie and Horford, that's just a recipe for success in the league right now. They have stars, they have wing players, they have a great coach, they can defend really well, best defensive team in the league right now. You know, they they can keep this up, I think. Like, it's it's not crazy. They won't be this good. Obviously, they will lose again at some point. But they have to be excited for this season and for the next, you know, five seasons.
0: The defense is the most surprising thing to me. And it's not just, you know, because of Kyrie and not expecting Kyrie to be a good defender. But you take Jay Crowder off this team. You take Avery Bradley off this team. Not sure what you're going to be able to get out of Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier. I mean, Marcus Smart obviously has been a great defender, but never had to play the minutes that they're probably asking him to play this year. It's just, it's it's all working for them. And I didn't expect it to. I really... I thought last season's team was better. I thought they were deeper. You look at this roster, though, and you look at what they're doing, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, I guess Jason Tatum is an NBA player. He was very NBA-ready coming into the draft. Ainge reportedly wanted to take him with the one pick, so they got their guy trading down and getting another asset. I mean, everything they're doing seems to be working for them, and you're asking yourself this question of, is it sustainable? Can they do this? Are they just coming out laser-focused and motivated? When has a Brad Stevens Celtics team – not held up that level of momentum mm, not mm. stay focused you know they usually get better as the season goes along so that's kind of the scary thing to me about this team is like we haven't even seen them put it together this is their first like 10 15 games together as a unit with all these new pieces working it out i don't see how they don't continue to get better i don't know that i'm necessarily buying it cuz again i'm just i'm so deeply rooted in lebron running the eastern conference that it's just i have tunnel vision i can't see it but like there's every reason to believe that this is sustainable and this could happen this year.
1: Yeah, and they've, they've done it all. Like, they've been banged up early too. I mean, more than just Hayward, like Marcus Smart has missed time. Mar- Marcus Marcus Mar- Smart has too. Marcus Morris yeah. has missed almost the whole season thus far. He's back now, I think. Uh, Al Horford's uh, within the concussion protocol. Uh, and I think Tatum has a twisted ankle at the moment too. So they're just finding ways. And I just think like they're completely bought into themselves and that's a really dangerous thing for the rest of the East.
0: That's a really good point. We talked about the two teams that I think most people associate with the top of the conference. There's two other teams that I consider to also kind of be with, with those teams. I don't know that they have as much talent, but they've kind of been mainstays in the top of the conference over the last couple of years. Of course, I'm talking about the Washington Wizards and the Toronto Raptors, both off to pretty solid starts. I think the Raptors are looking like one of the best offensive teams in the league. Do you think either of these teams can win the conference this year or is this just background noise and they're kind of going to finish the way they have the last couple seasons?
1: seasons? Uh, the Raptors fascinate me to start there because their offense has been great. A lot of it has just been DeMar DeRozan being ridiculous, which is something he always does. But I am just petrified at Kyle Lowry's start to the season. Like in 10 games, he's under 40% from the field, 32% from three, barely 12 points per game. And his assist numbers are good. His turnovers are manageable. But it's like they need him to be better. Like they, I don't, I don't, I just don't see them being able to do what the Celtics do and just sort of rely on everybody besides their top scorer in Demar Derozan. Like it's worked for them pretty well so far. You know they're six and four, but I just I, I don't know how sustainable that is. I feel like they still have kind of a weird roster in that, like they have three big guys who I think all should play, and you wonder like does Valanciunas finally get moved so they're not paying so much for their team? You know, are they are the Raptors confident enough in in Bebe Nogueira and Jacob Hurdle to do that? Maybe they're not. Um, maybe one of those other guys gets moved. I just I don't know. Something about this team just makes me think like, can they hold up? Like, are they too thin? Like, I Siakam is fun as a, a bench big man too. Um, OG, a new boy. Yeah, a new boy. I think I don't know. I might be saying that wrong. I just I just call him OG. OG, great, great great defender. He hasn't been that good offensively. I just i have never sold on the Raptors because they've never, they've never really came out and been like, we are this good. You know, like they've always been close, but I feel like they've never met a team to where you go, oh, the Raptors are have arrived. Like they made the conference finals and the Cavaliers didn't take them seriously. You know, LeBron said, I faced a lot of adverse situations in my career and this isn't one of them when they were down like 0-2 to the Raptors. Like they didn't care and they, they came out and won easily in the rest of the series. I just, I, I, something about them, I just don't fear Toronto that much. You know, props to the Raptors if they prove me wrong this year. I just, I'm not seeing it. The Wizards, I'm worried about their depth, first and foremost. Like, this team is, you know, you come look at their starting five, and then their best bench player is Kelly Oubre. After that, it's Mike Scott, Jody Meeks, who is, far and away their best bench guard at eight points per game. Their second best bench guard is Tim Frazier, who's shooting thirty one percent from the field and scores two point nine points per game. Then you got Sadaransky, thirty three percent from the field, three points per game. Yamahimi's been awful for that contract, three point five points per game. And obviously there's more to basketball than points per game, but if you're at less than four and you make sixteen million dollars a year, it's probably something's probably wrong. Um again, they're just they're so thin. They need to rely so much on Wall and Beal this team is starting to be a little better when those guys sit because Otto Porter's emerged as a much better player. And shouts to him. They need desperately some depth, and it sucks for them they couldn't keep Boyan Bogdanovich. But really, I think they need a guard. Like I don't think your your bench guards can be Jody Meeks and nothing. Like that's a that's a huge problem for them that I'm worried about.
0: Yeah, I don't really see Tim Fraser picking it up and being you know one of these better point guards off the bench. Setarensky, I mean, I, I think he's a good talent, but we haven't seen it the last you know year and change that he's been in the league. I think that's fair. I I do wonder if they have enough top-end talent to carry them. I mean, Otto Porter has just been absurd this year, out-of-control good. And Kelly Oubre looks like he's really taken a step in the right direction. I I don't know what they're going to do long-term. I I think Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorst were talking about this uh, earlier this week, about how maybe the move is to kind of stay small and play Porter and Oubre together in the front court and let Marquise Morris really run the offense off the bench for them. Still, I mean, you, you need depth in this conference, especially looking at how deep Boston is and, I mean, assuming Cleveland can get there and these guys all work it out. But but maybe you don't make that assumption and maybe that's good enough for Washington. Maybe having a, a killer starting five and hoping you can get some decent minutes at a, the Mahinmi and Jason Smith combo up front, you know, is, is enough for them. I, I don't see it. And I think that this kind of takes us back to can the Bucks really climb into the top four? That none of these teams, aside from Boston at the moment, look like they're championship contenders. And, I mean, even calling Boston a championship contender in a league where, like, just give it to Golden State. It's obviously Golden State's. It's going to be a huge upset if they don't win the championship. Like, maybe there is room for a Bucs team to to really climb into that top four. I, I don't see the Raptors or the Wizards being championship contenders this year, even though Washington's taking that step forward. I just, I, I really want this to happen for the Bucs. <laughs> and I'm sure you do, too. Oh, I'm, I'm here for it all the way, man. What's been the most surprising thing to you so far about this season?
1: Um, generally, it would have to be the Orlando Magic. Uh, I have been an Orlando Magic hater probably as long as I've had comments in the entire league, just because <laughs> most of the things they do, I go, "Why? What? What were you thinking by doing that?" And I did less of that this summer. Like the Simmons contract was pretty good. I don't. I still don't know that much about Jonathan Isaac to be honest. But uh, they didn't make as many terrible moves after they stole John Hammond from Milwaukee and then all of a sudden like they, they they've just figured out how to make the pieces work and i mean part of it it seems like is they have a point guard who can shoot threes and i don't think dj augustine he's hurt right now i don't think he'll continue the play he he did early but just letting putting shooters around aaron gordon letting him work next to vucevic who can space the floor himself aaron gordon shooting a ridiculous 57 percent from three that won't hold but just letting Aaron Gordon do power forward stuff and not letting him try to be LeBron because that's not who he is. He's not. He's not going to tear your team down from the dribble. It's just not his game. But that's fine. Like no, not everyone has to be that guy. Blake Griffin's pretty damn good too, even when he's not doing those point point Blake things. Like that sort of like Blake's game without trying to handle the ball is what Aaron Gordon can do, and it turns out he's really good at it. He's excelled at it this year. Uh, Evan Fournier has always been good. And just like to see these pieces come together has been really interesting to watch. Their defense has been surprisingly good, thanks in large part to Isaac. Um, It's been weird. It's been weird for me to watch the Magic be good. I don't know if they'll be good all year. I don't know if this lasts. I don't know how they integrate Peyton, if they ended up trading him, if they keep him, what they do. But it's going to be fun to watch for me. Uh, Shout out to the Magic for finally proving me wrong about picking you as one of the worst five teams in the league again. (laughs)
0: it had to happen at some point the pieces had to start coming together and I I do agree I think a big part is just Aaron Gordon taking that leap and him really being used right for the first time in his career I I thought last year was going to be his breakout and it looks like it's going to be this year instead obviously you can't expect him to keep shooting the way he's been shooting but I mean it it looks like he's really just taking that step forward and he could wind up being 40% shooter from three which is just absolutely huge and makes this team a lot better it opens things up for Vucevic DJ Augustine is just—I I don't know how to process him being good, but he, he's serviceable for them, and they needed a point guard who could shoot, which Alfred Payton just could not do for them. I, I'm with you. I'm kind of intrigued to see what they do with Payton moving forward, how they do moving forward, but just watching them. I mean, I watched them beat up on a Chris Stapp's Les Nicks last night. They, they look like a decent team. They're well-coached. They have enough guys that could you know kind of do enough things. They spread the ball around. It's not an ISO-heavy team, and they just— they're skilled. I, I don't know that it's here to last, but in this Eastern Conference, I mean, maybe it could be. I'm also su- I'm also surprised to see Detroit take a step yeah. forward. This is another team who, for so many years, you know, we've kind of been sitting here like, all right, this is the year, this is the year that they'll get it together. I don't know that it could be attributed to Reggie Jackson being healthy. Andre Drummond looks like he's kind of, I'm not going to say taking a step back, but being used in different ways where they're not forcing him as much. And I, I think that that's working out for them those two teams have kind of been the most surprising thing to me so far in the East.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you, they have the common thread too, right. Of not, not, not mistaking, you know, your quote unquote star players for like, Oh, we need to feed him the ball on offense in all sorts of like, it's not, that's not necessarily how it works. Andre Drummond is not a post up player. He's, Pick and roll, rim runner, he can gobble up rebounds and put them back. Like, that's his game. He's not Shaq. He's not Dwight. And Dwight wasn't even really, really that either. But he's not no. Shaq. You know, he's not that low post guy. And you look at uh, at Orlando and it's like that's not who uh, – that's not – I'm so bad. That's not who Aaron Gordon was. I always i I was thinking Vucevic. That's not who I meant to say. That's not who Aaron Gordon is. He's not a, a point forward. It's just not his game. Like let guys do what they're good at. If If someone develops something great, but don't try to just be like make someone someone else just because that's what that's what the rest of the league is doing. Like it doesn't necessarily work for your players. Like if Demar Derozan took. 10 three-pointers a game he wouldn't be as good that's not his game and you, you're wasting possessions at that point like you have to play to your strengths and I think these two teams the Pistons and Magic have figured out how to do that better and it, it's showing on the floor
0: definitely and I think Frank Vogel is really the right guy to help Orlando do that I was a little disappointed last season but I, I think the world of him as a coach and I, I'm not surprised that they're better this year than they were
1: Definitely. He can he's a real coach. Like there's I feel like there's like your standout coaches, like your Stevenses, your real coaches, like your Vogels and a lot of other guys, and then there's like, you know, your Earl Watsons and, and guys who just go, Really? He's still they're still letting him do that, huh? All right, all right.
0: Players like him, I guess that means a lot. Ty, yeah, I guess. you've been awesome so far. I've had a lot of fun talking about the East, talking about the Bucks, but it wouldn't be a relatively speaking podcast or a podcast hosted by me. Unless we talked about the Knicks, we don't have to talk about them much at all, but I just want to get your thoughts on what we've seen so far through 11 games of New York Knicks basketball with a uh, winning record, I have to add, with a winning record.
1: Well, that's important to note. Um, basically, they are the New York Christophses at this point, <laughs> which uh, as a Bucks fan, I can relate to in a, a very special way. Uh, hopefully, he can get healthy. Hopefully, the, uh, the elbow thing or whatever isn't that serious. Yeah. But, um, uh no, he's he's phenomenal and that's like they've won games because he is phenomenal. Like Tim Hardaway still can't really play defense. They have a lot of guys who don't really inspire you that much. My favorite thing is uh Frank uh Tili- N- N- Yeah, there it is. Nillakina uh, Frank Ntilikina being like heralded is like oh he's broken out now and he's like shooting thirty five percent from the field and five <laughs> points like he might be good I- I'm not saying he's not good but he's nineteen like I don't expect him to be good for a couple years anyway but it's like he made like a three pointer at the end of a rally and like you talk to Knicks fans it's like he's averaging like twenty ten and five right now like you know he he might be good he's not there yet which is fine but I'm glad they're playing him finally play these young guys get these young guys some burns that's how they get better um, I think really this team, I'm excited to see like if they can flip Kyle O'Quinn, who they don't really play, which they should because he's good, but if they're not going to play him, flip him for something and I think they get a lot more interesting. Like another like a serviceable point guard who can really teach Frankie Smokes how to play would be great. Like I looked at like a Bledsoe deal with them even. Um, one thing I saw that I was thinking about like with Monroe being a trade chip is what if the Knicks went crazy and gave up a first or maybe even more than that and Noah for Monroe just to get just to get that salary off the books and be able to do stuff next summer, uh, who knows? Maybe that's not. Maybe that's a stupid idea. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But like, just I, I'd like to see them do something without giving up future assets. But try to like flip Kylo Quinn for a guy who can play point guard besides Jarrett Jack, and I think they could be noticeably better with a real point guard. But it's it's the Kristaps show. Like that's what it's going to be this whole season. And good for the Knicks fans. Like I don't I don't know if they're going to be a top succeed with how some teams are playing I think there'll be a playoff team but uh if whatever happens it's because of Chris Stapps. and that's that's hope and that's something you can't really put a price tag on for a franchise like the Knicks
0: dude totally it's all about the hope and Chris Stapps has given them reason to be hopeful I agree with what you're saying about Frankie Ice too I mean Frank Nilekina is nice it's nice to see that he can play and I think that there were so many fans who were just worried that he's a total bust or that he might be injury prone because he missed all of Summer League and was banged up for the first few games of this season that just seeing the guy get on the court was like all they needed to see to think he's going to be a future Hall of Famer. The hyperbole gets a little ridiculous with this fan base, if you haven't noticed. Yeah, just, I've noticed just a bit. <laughs> yeah, how do you not? I, I don't know that I can you know say that they're a playoff team. I mean, look, they've won six of their last eight games, and one of those losses came last night with Chris Tapps out. It's going to come down to Porzingis being healthy or not. I also just I don't know that he can maintain this level of production He's going to have to get tired at some point. I mean, you see him get winded late in games, but that's Hornacek's job. He's got to be able to keep him fresh. He's got to not be playing him 35 minutes a game. He's not ready for that kind of leap. I, I don't know what the expectations are for this team, though. I mean, I think coming into the season, we're talking about a bottom five team in the league, and now that that's kind of changed a lot because Porzingis is playing well, and he's making life a lot easier for the guys around him. I agree with you, though. I think Kylo Quinn is probably the most you know, useful player that they could trade He's looked really good in, in the minutes he's gotten to play, but you have Joe Kim Noah coming back from suspension. You have Willie Hernan Gomez, who's just been buried on the bench inexplainably. I mean, I guess they win without him, so there's less of an uproar about him not playing. But this guy's, you know, 22 years old, and he was first-team All-NBA, or first-team All-Rookie, excuse me, last season. You got to say, a, whoa. <laughs> first-team All-NBA, just yeah. eight, eight points and seven rebounds. Uh, <laughs> and, and his cancer is getting a lot of minutes, too. Obviously, they're trying to showcase some of these guys for a trade. It's just weird seeing that you know they're they're feasibly like a piece or two away from being like good maybe like right now you watch them and it's like all right they, they're decent they're hanging in these games they're they're coming back against teams that aren't terrible I mean they came back against Charlotte in the fourth quarter the other night Charlotte looks like a playoff team I don't know what the Pacers are but impressive comeback against them too There's a lot of heart There's a lot of fight and that's something just Knicks fans haven't seen recently so it's it's good to see that I don't know that Doug McDermott could really keep up this production a lot of unknowns i don't feel comfortable saying that they're good or a playoff team but it's good to hear somebody that's not a knicks fan say that they might be so thank you
1: ah uh, you're welcome i mean really like the bottom of the east is such a crap shoot and i think like for what they need i'd say they need two guards like they need a starting point guard and then like a sort of reserve swing man guard who can play both roles because right now it's like if you look at past their starters the best guard is ramon sessions frankie nilakina or ron baker maybe lance thomas and it's like You know, these are not the names that you think of as important cogs on playoff teams in 2017-18. So if they could find a way to get some guards, I think they would be interesting. I'd like to see uh, Kuzminskas get get traded too, because I think he can play a little bit, and it's weird that they don't play him at all right now.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree. It's just you got to find the minutes for these guys. Yeah, you know, yeah. you, you have Courtney Lee, you have Tim Hardaway, and then you also have Lance Thomas and uh, Michael Beasley, Doug McDermott, all these guys occupying minutes at the, at the three or the two where you'd be getting Kuzminski's in there. So I, I think Kuzminski's and O'Quinn kind of make sense as being trade pieces. Their contracts aren't too big, and they, they could really help out a team that's in the playoff hunt, but. It'd be great to see the Knicks flip some of their pieces for assets. They're not known for doing that. We, <laughs> shall, we shall see what they do. But, Ty, you, you've been awesome, man. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. Before I let you go, do you have any work you want to plug or any shout-outs you want to give?
1: Oh, man. I mean, I, I do a pretty good amount of writing. Just buck stuff Behind the Bucks. Check that out. The Step Back, of course. I do some stuff there. It's a lot of fun. But, I mean, number one thing I would say is my, my own podcast. I think it's ill mannered to plug a podcast on a podcast, but I'll do it anyway. Time Out with Ty. You can find it pretty much wherever you find podcasts. It's on Twitter, at Time Out with Ty. I'm on Twitter, at Ty Windish. So that's like the thing I'd probably, is one of the things I'm most proud of. So, you know, maybe if you enjoyed this, obviously you're already subscribed to this fantastic podcast. I hope. If not, you're missing yeah, out. Sure. But uh, okay. check out mine too. I'd really appreciate it.
0: For sure, guys. Make sure you're following Ty on Twitter again. That's at Ty Windish. T-I-W-I-N-D-I-S-C-H follow Ty check out his podcast it's awesome I'm really happy to plug his podcast here because I think it's just great to have as many good NBA podcasts in your feed as you can Ty is must listen must read all good things Ty thank you so much again good luck I know you're graduating college soon so Congratulations on that and I look forward to your future successes.
1: Uh thank you so much, man. That's awesome. You know, I'm a big fan of this podcast too. I'm happy to, to be on it for once. I hope I can come back again in, in not not too long from now.
0: Hopefully. Hopefully we'll be talking about a Bucks Knicks Eastern Conference Finals hey, or something. Let's do it. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Ty. Take care.
1: Yeah, you too. Long range, I've been killing on the blacktop AI cross, sunning rappers like a backdrop Clock ticking, I'm the one, take the last shot Couple chairs for him, got your shorty like a mascot Never ask, I'm just feeling with that ass got These half nuts at my neck like an mascot. Uh, 100 grand up in my dash hop with more K's than Dash Got you living in a glass box I'm on point, Steve Nash spot. Destroy your track like I'm Hancock Now I'm pulling
0: tops down like a rag top